We're going to be in Colossians, moving towards the end of Colossians, chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 2 through 4 this morning. Colossians 4, 2 to 4. There's one seat available right here still. Colossians 4. Oh, competition upstairs today. Everybody got it? Colossians 4, 2 to 4. Would you stand? And I, as I read it, if you'd stand, please. Just a few short verses. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And don't forget to pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to preach about his secret plan that Christ is also for you Gentiles. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would teach us to be better prayers as we spend this just a few minutes this morning in your word. Father, that you would open our hearts to the to the importance of prayer, the imperative of prayer, the the value of prayer. Father, that you would, as I've been praying, that you would tug at our hearts to pray. Father, which can be at the same time the most amazing thing and the hardest thing to do. Father, teach us to pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit down. I have got to confess that preaching on prayer is one of the hardest things for me to do because I always feel like you can pray more. And prayer is so important. I want to read just a little quote to get us started this morning. I want you to just to listen. And, I, and as I've been praying that God would just tug at our hearts to really grasp how important prayer is. I mean, prayer is something we all... You do once in a while, you know, and now I lay me down to sleep, you know, we, we learn that prayer, and rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, you know, we, we got those basic important prayers down. But to really learn to pray to where we, we really connect with God and, and know God and see God and experience God working, that's what prayer is. Listen to this quote. This is by a guy, Andrew Murray, has written just a, a bunch of wonderful devotional books, and this is what he says. Though in its beginnings, prayer is so simple that the feeblest child can pray. That's the wonderful thing about prayer. Yet it is at the same time the highest 
and holiest work to which one can rise. Listen to this. It says, It is fellowship with the unseen and most holy one. The powers of the eternal world have been placed at prayer's disposal. It is the very essence of true religion, the channel of all blessings, the secret of power and life. That's a lot, of, that's a lot to put together. Not only for ourselves, but for others, for the church, for the world. It is to prayer that God has given the right to take hold of him and his strength. It is on prayer that the promises wait for their fulfillment, the kingdom for its coming, the glory of God for its full revelation. And for this blessed work, how slothful and unfit we are. And we should all say amen. <laughs> That's, those are amazing words about prayer, aren't they? What prayer lays hold of, what prayer attains, what prayer can bring us, what prayer can do and impact and, and cause. And yet, I tell you, as again, studying through this week and pondering these words, how unfit and slothful I feel in terms of prayer. As we think about Colossians 4 this morning, I want to take us back to 2 Chronicles 20, okay? And we're going to go through a story in 2 Chronicles 20, just really quickly. It's a wonderful story about prayer, and as we go through that, I trust that it's going to highlight for us how we're to pray. As we come to Colossians chapter 4, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a grateful heart. In a really simple way, that tells us how to pray. With perseverance, alertness, and thankfulness. Now we're going to see that illustrated, I trust, in Second Chronicles chapter 9. And I trust that it'll do two things. It'll not only say, man, I can pray, but like I want to pray as we see the amazing way that this King Jehoshaphat's prayer impacted his circumstances. Second Chronicles 20, if you're in the book, page 482. Second Chronicles 20. It's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. Second Chronicles 20. As we come to Second Chronicles chapter 20, the armies of the Moabites... The Ammonites and some of the Maunites had declared war on Joshua. And the word came to him, messengers came to him in verse 2 of Second Chronicles 20 and told him a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. And Jehoshaphat was terrified. A vast army, three different nations had banded together to come against and destroy Judah. And Jehoshaphat is terrified. I want, I want you to put yourself in that situation just for a sec. Because so often, I think what keeps us from praying is we feel overwhelmed. And we say, what good will prayer do? 
I mean, I've got to do something. I've got to make something happen. We feel overwhelmed by our circumstances or by what's going on. We say, ah. And I want you to see that. Look at verse, five, uh, verse 3. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news, and he sought the Lord for guidance. He gave orders that everyone throughout Judah should observe a fast, so people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord. Verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood before the people of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord, and listen to what he prayed. O Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in the heavens. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and they built this temple for you. And they said, whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, disease, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored and we can cry out to you to save us and you will hear us and rescue us. Isn't that amazing prayer? In the midst of a terrifying situation. Verse 10. And now we see what the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt, so they went around them, and they did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. Right? Verse 13. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there, and his name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. And he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat. Listen, all of you people of Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Now, after they've come to the Lord, they've expressed their neediness and their helplessness before the Lord and acknowledged who he is and what he's capable of doing. The Lord responds. Verse 15, he says, King Jehoshaphat, listen, all of you people of Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out there tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Verse 18, King Jehoshaphat, he bowed down with his face to the ground. 
And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. And then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. And then verse 20 tells us what they did. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and he said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. And you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. And he's referring to what the prophet had told them and the victory that God would bring them. And after consulting the leaders of the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Do you see that? They're about ready to go into battle against three combined nations' armies. But believing what God has said, the king appoints singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And in verse 22, as they... At the moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of the Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting against themselves. And turning against themselves, they destroyed each other's armies. Three things, if you want to flip back to Colossians, you can, but three things from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. And literally, it means just continue steadfast in prayer, persist in prayer, persevere in prayer, like the widow before the unrighteous judge. He cared nothing about her. He cared nothing about righteousness, but because she just persisted and she just kept coming back day after day after day after day, he finally said, you know, if I don't, if I don't give her what she wants, she's just going to wear me out. And because he didn't want to be worn out, He gave her what she wanted. And so the end of the parable, Jesus said, is when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? Will he find among us that kind of prayers? Perseverers, persisters who just keep persisting, keep pursuing, continue steadfast in prayer? Wonderful testimony from George Mueller, who those of you know, about him, uh, God used him to house and provide for thousands of orphans in England in the 1800s, and all through prayer. George Miller said that he prayed for 63 years for one of his best friends. 63 years for him to come to Christ and George Mueller died and that friend came to Christ at George Mueller's memorial service. That's perseverance, isn't it? Persistence. Continue. Devote yourselves to prayer. Persist in prayer. Persevere in prayer with an alert mind. Literally, it means to to give serious attention to, to take heed to. It it, it means that when when we're persevering in prayer and persisting in prayer, it's not just a bunch of It's not trying to wear God down. It's not what it is. It's not just trying to flood God with a bunch of words. But it's something that involves our minds. 
with an alert mind. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, don't be like the pagans who think that they can just overwhelm God with a bunch of words, by a lot of words, get what they want. But it's praying like Jehoshaphat prayed. You know, remember how he prayed? He prayed. He said, oh God, you alone are the God who's heaven. You're the ruler of all the kings of the earth. You're powerful and mighty. God, you're God. And, and powerful prayer, biblical prayer, not only continues steadfast, but it's a person who's saturated in the word of God and who brings God to God, who brings the truth of God before God. There's two verses in the New Testament that impact me as much as any other verses about prayer. The first one is, Jesus says, if you pray anything in my name, I will do it. Isn't that amazing? If you pray anything in my name, I'll do it. I think that's exactly what it's talking about here when it says devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind, with our minds. Because praying in Jesus' names means praying as Jesus would pray. It's like a power of attorney that when we come before God, we come as Jesus would come, and the Father honors that because we come in his name. We come as Jesus would come. One of the most amazing prayers in the Bible is Mary's prayer, called the Magnificat. If you go through in the book of Luke, and then Zachariah's prayer a little bit later in Luke chapters 1 and 2, we see prayers. There's just prayers that are full of Scripture. You can go through and you can... Every line of those prayers comes from the Old Testament. Pray with alertness. Pray with under, awareness. Pray with understanding as you come. I mean, as you, if you want to be a person that devotes yourself to prayer, you've got to be a person who's devoted to the Word so you can bring God's promises and God's character back to Him. Say, God, this is you. With an alert mind and a grateful heart. Do you see that in Jehoshaphat here? You notice when they began giving thanks to God, it's before we often begin to give thanks in prayer. Often we give thanks because of what God has done. And that's good. But you notice when Jehoshaphat gives thanks, before it's been done. And that's the second little thing that Jesus says in the New Testament. He says, if you pray believing I will do it. That's what this is. It's believing. It's, it's them humbling themselves before God, continuing steadfast, seeking God with fasting, pleading with God, we're helpless, we can't do it, acknowledging who God is, that he alone can do it. And then when he responds in faith, stepping out, putting the singers at the front of the army with praise and thanks, expecting God to do it. That's prayer. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves, continue steadfast in prayer with an alert mind, with an understanding of who God is, knowing his promises, praying those back to him with an expectation that he'll do it. Boy, I tell you, so often when I pray, I just, I pray like... So often my prayers are kind of like these helpless pleas. <laughs> Not a lot of faith. 
not a lot of hope, not a lot of scripture, not a lot of promises, just kind of going from one crisis, one desperate plea to the next. Ah, Dear people, let's continue steadfast in prayer, bringing God's promises, God's person before him with an expectation he'll work. That's how we're to pray. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Colossians chapter 4 continues on. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And don't forget to pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to preach about his mystery, his secret plan that Christ is also for you Gentiles. And that is why I am here in chains. He was in prison when he wrote this. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. The second half of this passage tells us, I think, two ways what we should pray for. As we come to pray, we should pray for opportunity and we should pray for clarity. We should pray for God to open doors in people's hearts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, what does it say people's eyes are? Blinded, it says. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they can't, they can't see the glorious gospel. They can't see. So if we think that we can just go out and hand out tracts and tell people about Jesus and expect them to respond, the only way they're going to respond is if we pray. God, open eyes. God, open communities. God, open that house. God, open hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the second is clarity. That as we speak, God would open our mouths, not only with confidence, but but a clearness. So as we speak, that people will understand what we say. And they'll hear the good news and they'll respond to it as God opens their hearts. Clarity and opportunity. You know, as I, as I was looking at this verse, this is Colossians chapter 4. It's, just, it's right at the end of Colossians. I was thinking, why does, this, why does Paul just tuck these three verses about prayer right at the end of this book? I mean, after the first two chapters, he's talked about who Christ is. I mean, they're beautiful. If you haven't been here from the beginning, I'd encourage you to go back and read Colossians and just how it lifts up Jesus and who he is. So after the first two chapters and Jesus being lifted up and this is who he is, and then it goes in and it talks about how we, we should respond. And, and the last two, you know, it talks about how relationships should be and how we should be at work and how we respond to that truth. I think prayer is put here for two really important reasons. Number one is because the truths that are talked about in Colossians are the truths that should dominate our praying. When we come and we pray, these are the truths that we should pray for other people, that they would see who Jesus is, that we would bring back, that that God would open their eyes to see. And that's so many times what Paul's prayers are, that the eyes of their hearts would be open, that they would see their wealth, their power, their position in Christ. So these truths are the truths that we should be praying. So if you don't know what to pray for people, 
Go back and read the book of Colossians, the first two chapters, and you'll see what to pray. To pray for yourself, to pray for your struggling friend, to pray for your unsaved friends. Pray these truths about who Jesus is. And the second thing, reason I think that this, these few verses on prayer right here at the end is because these are the truths that are needed, that, that prayer is needed for these truths to be understood by people we talk to. You know, it's amazing how God works, the sovereign God of the universe, right? He could do anything he wants. He could. He's God. But God has chosen that, that he will work through prayer. That he will work as his people pray. That hearts will be opened, that eyes that are blind will be able to see, spiritually blind will be able to see as we pray. And it won't happen otherwise. I want to, I want to read a couple things for you here, just to give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Uh, let me see here. Here we are. I'm going to read about... There's, there's many famous evangelists over the years. One of them is George Whitfield. God used George Whitfield and John Wesley in the United States and in Europe to bring thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people to Jesus Christ. But notice it says, Historians tell us that Whitfield, and this is what we often don't hear, took a little crippled man with him to crusades. His job was not crusade director nor chief musician. He prayed. That was the extent of his duty. As Whitfield preached, and he was an eloquent preacher, this handicapped Christian prayed. And now we see more clearly why Whitfield's sermons rocked the hearts of men. The, vivid, the vividness with which Whitfield preached seemed supernatural. Once while preaching to sailors, he described a vessel lost at sea. He portrayed her as on her side, ready to sink, and then he cried aloud, What next? It says, So anointed was Whitfield's preaching that sailors sprang to their feet, crying, The lifeboat! The lifeboat! Grab the lifeboat! On another occasion, he pictured a blind man walking near the edge of a precipice without knowing where he was going, he came to the edge. Whitfield's portrayal was so vivid at this point that the famous Lord Chesterfield sprang to his feet crying, My God, he's gone! So ran the accounts of Whitfield's anointed preaching, yet remember a little crippled man's prayers. And we don't even know his name. That's something. Um, I want to do one more here, but I'm... not finding it. Well, I'll do this one. This is a modern-day example. How can we make certain the cities of our nation and of the world are open to receive the good news of Jesus Christ? 
I like the way John DeVries of Mission 21 in India put it. The devil has created sound barriers. Or you, 2 Corinthians 4, blindness, spiritual blindness around people and cities and people groups. Barriers which can only be torn down through prayer. We can have the best methods. We can have phenomenal sums of money. We can have dedicated workers. But none of these can tear down the demonic and spiritual walls which keep people from hearing the gospel. Only prayer is effective. And he gives an illustration here. There's a city called Goa. It's a Portuguese-speaking Roman Catholic city on the western shores of India. Goa had gained a reputation among Christian leaders in the whole region as being notoriously resistant to the gospel. According to to Joseph, the pastor of New Life Fellowship in Bombay, following God's call, Pastor Joseph had gone to Goa to help plant churches, but like others before him, he was stoned and run out of the city. Church planting teams continued as well as they could, but after years of ministry could only count six tiny struggling house churches as the fruit of their labor. Well, five years later... However, a Christian prayer team arrived from Brazil to Goa. These intercessors had been called to do, and get this, a one-year prayer journey on behalf of the city of Goa. That's devotion. That's continuing steadfast. We'll wait a second. Okay. For one year, these Christians came from Brazil to Goa. They rented a house, and for 12 months, they did nothing but pray for Goa. And most of us are thinking, wow, that is boring. I can't believe they need to get lives, right? Then having accomplished their assignment, they went back to Brazil. That's it. One year... In a rented home, they prayed for Goa. Did it do any good? Were their prayers powerful? Pastor Joseph reported that in the two months following the departure of the Brazilian intercessors, this is after years of church planning efforts and witnessing efforts, six small struggling house churches, within two months of their departure, his new life church had planted 18 new house churches. Devote yourselves to prayer. Continue steadfast in prayer with alert minds and grateful hearts. With an understanding of God's promises and and who we are in Christ. Expecting Him to work. Praying that God would open up doors and open up hearts and give us voices to speak in a clear and understandable way that God's kingdom might come. I think it's having a friend on our heart who is struggling or is in desperate need of Jesus and, and it's persisting in prayer for them. It's bringing God's promises in prayer before God for them. Pray that God would bring them to repentance that would humble their hearts, that would open their eyes, that would help them to see 
persisting in prayer. How do we do it? I just want to say four things in conclusion that I think we get from Colossians chapter 4 here. Devoting ourselves to prayer with alert minds and grateful hearts. The first thing I think that means is discipline. Devoting ourselves, continuing steadfast in something, that requires discipline. I would really encourage us and um, to set times to pray. I mean, how do we break through that, like Andrew Murray said, our slothfulness and our unfitness, our laziness? How do we break through that except discipline? Paul tells Timothy, his young son in the faith, discipline yourselves for the sake of godliness. Take pains with the discipline yourself. Set a time to pray. Use a timer to keep yourself. Start with 15 minutes once or twice a day. Turn it into 30 minutes. Set a timer. Discipline yourself to pray. The second thing I encourage us to do besides discipline is to be people who spend time in the Word. We can't be prayers with understanding and and praying like Jehoshaphat. God, you alone are God. You're the powerful and mighty, holy God of the universe. You alone are powerful. We can't pray those things if we don't know God, if we don't spend time in his word. We can't be powerful prayers. We're just going to be pagan prayers. Thinking that by a bunch of words or by our panic mode coming before God that somehow he'll answer us. Like expecting a neighborhood kid to run into our house and saying, give me $100. Oh yeah, sure. It's our kids that we built a relationship with, that, that we have an intimacy with, that we're going to give $100 to. It, it's relationship. It's an understanding. Spend time in the Word. <coughs> Cultivate a childlike dependence. That's the third thing. I think as we come with this grateful heart, how can we have a grateful heart when we don't even know if we're going to get it or not? <laughs> I mean, we need to wait to see if we're going to get it before we're going to be grateful, right? Unless we have such a high view of God and such an expectation that God will do what is best and God will do what is God, that God will work out his purposes for our good in Christ Jesus. We can come with grateful hearts knowing that God in his goodness will do what God in his greatness alone can do. And so a childlike dependence where we come before God and, and it's going to take that discipline, it's going to take that time in, that, in the Word where, we just, where we're willing to sit like the verse that Daniel shared earlier, just to be still and know that He's God. This isn't a philosophical or a business or an intellectual transaction taking place. This is a, like, a, like little children coming before their Heavenly Father and saying, I need you. I'm helpless. It doesn't mean coming with ignorance. It's coming with an understanding as we're spending time in the Word, but, but coming with a childlike dependence. Jesus, I need you. I'm helpless without you. And being willing to take the time to just be still and quiet before the Lord and, and learn to be like a little child before Him. We're always so busy, aren't we? <laughs> we're, we're so busy, but to take that time to just sit before God. Maybe that's that discipline to, to set that time 
Set a timer if you need to so you know you don't go over that time. And just to sit and be still before God. And then the final thing I'd encourage, and that's why I read the story of Jehoshaphat. That's why I read the story of the the city of Goa and the New Life Fellowship Church and the, the account of George Whitfield and is to read stories, read testimonies. I'd encourage you to do that. I have books if you want to borrow them. Read testimonies and accounts of how God has worked in people's lives. I tell you, reading these books, power through prayer, powerful praying, I mean, they encourage me and they challenge me to want to be that kind of person that wants to connect with the God of the universe. That's simply what Colossians 4, 2 through 4 tells us. It tells us two things in a nutshell. is number one, that prayer puts us in contact with the God of the universe. The most holy, creator, almighty, sovereign God of the universe that we can connect with. And his greatness and his goodness as our Father, our Father who is in heaven. We can know Him. We can build a relationship with Him. And the second thing is, and it flows right out of that, is that knowing Him and connecting with Him, we can impact our world in a way that we could never impact our world. I don't know about you, but there's things that I know that I cannot finesse my way through. I can't talk my way through, and I'm, I'm a pretty good talker when I want to be. I can, there's some things I think I can kind of, you know, God's given me enough brains to where I can convince people of things, but there's some things I just can't convince people of. I can't change a heart that's been hardened by sin. I can't change a will that's become stubborn because of the choices that have been made. I can't change a heart and I can't change a will. I can't open blind eyes. I can't give life to people who are spiritually dead. And I don't think any of you can either. And I tell you, there's people that I know Long to, need, long to see the healing and the transforming work of God in their heart. They're just struggling along, dead in their sins. They need the good news of Jesus, and I can't convince them of it, and I've talked to them about it many times. Only God can do that, and only God can do that, and only God chooses to do that when we pray. You get that? We need to pray. Devote ourselves to prayer. With alert minds, spending time in the Word, grateful hearts, reading testimonies of how God has worked, asking that God would open eyes, change hearts, give us words to speak, and see God work. Let's discipline ourselves for that. Let's spend time in His Word. Let's read testimonies. Let's become like children and just say, God, we want to see you work in a way we've never seen you work before. Let's pray. God, you are amazing. You are God. You could do what you want, and yet you created us in your image. You redeemed us 
through the blood of your precious son. And God, you made your plan to accomplish your purposes as we pray. Us, weak, needy, helpless individuals. But God, individuals that you have purposed to empower as we pray to be a part of your purposes in impacting the world. God, open our hearts. Help us to discipline ourselves to be people that participate with you in this world as we pray. Oh, God, please. We're so lazy. We're so easily tempted. We're so easily distracted. God, stir up our hearts, I pray, to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.